When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. An official message from Medicare. A new law is helping me save more money on prescription drug costs. Maybe you can save too. With Medicare's Extra Help program, my premium is zero and my out-of-pocket costs are low. Who should apply? Single people making less than $23,000 a year or married couples who make less than $31,000 a year. Even if you don't think you qualify, it pays to find out. Go to ssa.gov slash extra help. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. An official message from Medicare. A new law is helping me save more money on prescription drug costs. Maybe you can save too. With Medicare's Extra Help program, my premium is zero and my out-of-pocket costs are low. Who should apply? Single people making less than $23,000 a year or married couples who make less than $31,000 a year. Even if you don't think you qualify, it pays to find out. Go to ssa.gov slash extra help. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Welcome back to the Blue Turf. This is Thad Bell from the Blue Testament. I have with me Eric Bergrud, who is the Comets, one of the Comets announcers, uh, Park University uh, extraordinaire person. I know I, I have to come up with new ways to introduce you every week, I think. I'm here. All right. You sounded really enthused there, Eric. Oh, I'm ready to go. It was an exciting weekend. Uh, last weekend, we can talk about both games, and we have two games to talk about this coming weekend. All right, so let's uh, dive right in. Last weekend, uh, game in Mesquite, game back home. Uh, game in Mesquite, they came up a little short. Game at home, they came up on the right side, but in overtime. What stood out from those two games for you, Eric? I think what stood out, not only for those two games, but let's talk about the season collectively so far is the goalkeeping in this league. The quality, has, at least in the games the Comets have competed in, have, has been top-notch. They faced a pair of St. Louis goalkeepers that first weekend. And, and I think you could argue that they would have gotten a full three points in St. Louis had it not been for Paulo. Fast forward to this past weekend, and Pollo was terrific. Former St. Louis goalkeeper now back with Mesquite. And, and I think you could argue that he changed the game positively for Mesquite. And Willie B was terrific for Milwaukee, kept him in the game entirely on Sunday. Absolutely. Uh, Sunday was actually starting to look like an outdoor game with that uh, score at halftime. 
Uh, well, I talked to to Neto at halftime. I interviewed him for the for the game on Sunday, and I had a chance to talk to him off air. He was talking about the defense and what it is going to take for the Comets this season. Uh, the defense needs to be strong, and I think all the way through in each game, you could argue it's been the defense that's been carrying the Comets either to victory or keeping them in games in all four. Absolutely. I think that's a really good point because I, I felt last year, especially uh, about halfway through, the defense kind of was the weak point and they had to outscore another team where this year it has been uh, very strong despite missing uh, Ray Lee for this last weekend, uh, uh, Schmerman for for one of the games. It uh, And there's been some other, you know, knocks and hit stuff here and there. So it's been a very strong effort from that side of it i wonder what's i'll have to talk we'll have to talk to leo and see what's changed about that well and speaking of leo we we've seen some interesting leo player tactics so in that first weekend he didn't play at st louis decided to play at home and they won in mesquite he didn't play in the first half put himself in in the second half but then he played the whole game at home against milwaukee when he substituted himself in in mesquite all of a sudden, O'Dane Sinclair, who had been playing target, dropped back to the defensive line. So we've already seen that adjustment. And I think part of that adjustment being made in the absence of Ray Lee, as you noted earlier, Thad. Uh, again, I'm impressed with, with James Togba. He keeps scoring goals and uh, becoming the go-to two-way player for the Comets. Yeah, that, that is actually one of the, the big strengths for the comments has been that they have players who can play the back, the mid, the forward, just, you know, changing it up in different types, uh, different um, styles of those positions. Uh, Togba, uh, Lasia, uh, Leo, Sosa. I mean, you can just kind of go down the list, but it's, it's also, even if you are a defender, you are always in the attack. Well, and something we saw, we saw Chase Bromstead this weekend thrown into action and getting a regular shift. And and on Sunday, he was up against the big guys. He was up against IB26. He was up against Andre Haynes. So they didn't shirk in giving him some serious responsibility early on. Got his first two-minute penalty, so he got it out of his system, I, I would hope. And uh, I think what they're still trying to figure out is uh, – it's not really chemistry per se, Thad, but what are the right combinations and what are the lines that are going to take them forward as they as they transition in the next phase of this season? Yeah, that will probably take some time, especially if with uh, you know, some of the injuries, especially with Ray Lee. Uh it's it's always seemed to me you always have that guy who's a little more stay-at-home ball control, one guy who's gets more into the attack. Uh, you know, outdoor you have that same sort of combinations a lot of times with teams. Uh, you know, oftentimes you see a Comets defender up, you know, in the box. It's just, you know, because they're a guy who maybe can take somebody on one-on-one -on -one and beat a, and get into that box. I'm glad you brought up Chase, though. I actually briefly spoke to him this morning. Uh, I was at Comets practice for a little while today. I got to see a lot of yoga, not a lot of uh, gameplay, but because uh, I think some Did of the older guys... they ask you to join them? You get a, You no. get an opportunity to participate? No, no. Uh, actually... Uh, Alan Mayer told me I should go out there, but you know, that's a team space. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Plus I, I didn't have my yoga clothes. Uh, yeah. But anyway, it was, uh, it was entertaining watching what I did get to see. There's a lot of the, the regular guys were taking it a little bit easy since there was two games last weekend, two games this weekend, you know, what's four games in seven days or eight days, whatever it ends up being. But 
Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about this because I was I got back home after Sunday's victory over Milwaukee. We can talk about that game, and I was flipping through Twitch and and reading some comments online, and there were a lot of comments about the San Diego Empire game about how it's a travesty that they're playing on tired legs in such a short period of time. And I'm thinking to myself two things. First of all, neither of them had to go on an airplane following their, uh, their match on Saturday night. They had a short bus ride in the case of empire down to San Diego. And it, it, so I also recall back in the good old NPSL days that that teams used to play three games in a weekend. So yeah ultimately the coaches have to adapt their lineups for these two, two, two game weekends. And I thought there was maybe a little bit too much put in on, on what was the players it's ultimately on the co coaches to determine how are we going to move guys in and out. And then you saw on Sunday, you mentioned Richard Schmerman gets a fairly regular shift on, on Sunday, didn't play Saturday. And so I think Leo Gibson, and his coaching staff are going to have to determine tough game in Milwaukee. And we can talk about maybe what happened after the game in Milwaukee, a little bit of uh, fracas there as I was running down to the field, but then you come back and have another rivalry game here in, in, at Cable Dom Arena on Saturday. And so how do you manage legs? How do you manage minutes? These coaches are going to have to figure it out. Yeah. Um, every coach in every sport has to do it at some point. I do think, Unfortunately, the comments are getting hammered, you know, with three back-to-back -back sets of games in a row uh, and two sets of those, like I said, within that seven or eight days. That's a little bit extreme. In those old NBSL days, as we talk about, I'd have to go back and look what were the size of the rosters, were there more players available? Uh, and I, I actually can't answer that right now. I'd have to go back and think about it and look at it. But even if there were more players available, the comments are shorthanded with some injuries and still some visa issues, which I don't have a big update. All I know is I've been told it's made a step forward, but I don't know if that's a big step, a small step. Hopefully we can see those guys. I do know that once they're available, they will be ready to play. The uh, Going back to this last set of games, though, the Milwaukee game, you said you mentioned there was a little fracas afterwards. Uh, I was blocked a little bit by players uh, – and I know you were running down to get ready for the interview. My understanding is when Lucas hit that goal and he basically took off his shirt and started waving it near the Milwaukee bench, they were not pleased with that. I asked Lucas about that this morning a little bit, and he said, well, they were giving it to us all game, so I just figured I'd give it back to him a little bit. Uh, paraphrase, not the exact quote, but very close to it. I, I think if any of our listeners were to go to the MASL website, click on the stats button, and then scroll down to discipline suspensions, you will find out quickly how the league responded to that post-game incident because both Lucas Sosa as well as uh, Milwaukee coach Juliano Olivero both got undisclosed fines. And, yeah. and you could just uh, read what you want into that. Yeah, I did notice their coach was probably the first one off the bench to uh, confront him about that. Uh, Lucas did also mention that he was uh, very grateful for his teammates who kind of intercepted and blocked for him to keep him cool. safe. So a little behind-the-scenes drama. So I'm running down to the field with the microphone. 
Uh, Lucas was back on the bench. Sure was on at that time, by the way. And I try to set him up for an interview. And uh, Nicolau Neto asked me to move away from where the players were just so he would have some space and so nothing happened. So a little bit of drama there. But uh, what do you expect between Casey and Milwaukee? And I said on air, and I think Nick Vassos agreed with me. For me, Milwaukee is Kansas City's biggest rival. I know that for fans, uh, the whole KC St. Louis rivalry is a thing and and it still does exist, but between the teams and the franchises, it's absolutely comets and wave. And, and we'll see the blaster coming back, but the, but the comets don't play them nearly as many times as they do the wave. I think we'll get a test of uh, whether people have cooled off this Friday in Milwaukee or whether there's still some uh, unresolved feelings that need to be dealt with on the field. Well, and I know we mentioned this in a previous podcast, but uh, between Milwaukee and St. Louis, Kansas City plays them six times each. So that's 12 out of their 24 game schedule against two different teams. Even if there wasn't a rivalry to begin with, you're going to kind of build that animosity over the season, but it definitely existed before this. And, well, and, it, and because the games tend to be tight, let me uh, mention uh, something we, we talked about on air is last season, there was a change to the scoring system in, in the MASL. So it used to be a win-loss league, and now you get three points for a regulation win, two points for an overtime win, and one point for an overtime loss. So when the Comets took the ambush to overtime in that that season opener at, at the uh, family arena, in a way, the, the Comets got a decent result because instead of St. Louis getting three points to none, it wound up being two points for the ambush, one for the Comets. But Milwaukee did its job here on Sunday, held the Comets a two-point game, one back. And so it's up to the Comets now to try to do the same thing, at least take the game into overtime on on Friday. Otherwise, Milwaukee gets the better end of this home-and-home uh, -home series. Yeah, it's 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 going to be a battle between those three teams from the from the Midwest ish to uh, to get those points. And again, we we've talked about this a little bit before, and I'm sure we'll talk about it many more times this season about how the the imbalanced schedule and how some teams will be playing teams that are less strong, some and other teams will be beating up on each other. Even if one's even if the Comets is the best of the three teams, they're going to take points away from each other throughout the season, which will make it harder and harder for those three teams to make the playoffs. Yeah, and, and you mentioned St. Louis and Milwaukee. They play each other six times. There was a little incident on Saturday night's game that, again, you can read about the Discipline Review Committee's action on the website, but the the guy who scored the, the game-winning overtime goal for, for St. Louis on Sunday against Baltimore, Stefan Miatovich, one game suspension for something to happen up in Milwaukee. So St. Louis will be without one of their major weapons when they come to play the Comets here on Saturday. Which I don't mind. Well, I mean, I, I say this, it seems like every broadcast now that every team loses players, whether it's injuries or whatever else. And, and in this league, a lot of teams are dealing with visa issues. You just have to manage that. And for players, fans, or coaches to say, oh, woe is us, we're without X. Well, everybody's without X. It's just sort of a question of, just like you were saying with the with the back-to-back -back weekend games, how do you manage your roster to get through these 
unexpected hardships. Yeah. And everybody, you're right. Everybody does miss players here and there. And I can't compare the exact number of everybody who's missing on visa issues or suspensions for every team. Uh, I don't, I haven't seen any other team that's missing quite as many players as the Comets or in players that they had planned on heavily for use, but we'll see how it goes. I'd say two things. One, that's totally fair, Thad, but what I'd say a second is, and kudos to Leo Gibson for starting earlier than other teams, but for not the fact that the Comets were holding voluntary kickarounds in the summer and started earlier and got multiple guys on the field, they wouldn't be in the position to be able to rotate the way that they have been. And I think that as Comets fans still struggle with the team's identity amidst all these challenges, had Leo Gibson not gotten these guys as many minutes of practice compared to other teams, they wouldn't be as competitive as they are now. So they're weathering the storm with all their roster issues right now. That includes visa issues. They've had one suspension issue already. And then the injury uh, to Rion Marks uh, that we can talk about. But but it's because Leo Gibson has invested so much practice time, more so than other teams, that oh. that he has choices. Well, absolutely. That definitely plays a key into it. And then there's, I would say there's another three, four, five guys that if they were, if they knew they were not going to get people back from visa issue, that they would potentially add to a roster because they've been practicing with them. So if they needed to, they could sign them and they would, uh, they would not be the top of the roster, obviously, but they would be able to fill in game time. So there's, they have done this very smartly. It's just that the visa time, the visa issue time came up at a very bad time. So it makes it harder to choose what to do at that point. It, it also fits a nice narrative that it's the world against the Comets. So we heard on the Mesquite broadcast that the narrative that Kansas City is a physical team and they get a lot of fouls and saw one of the uh, the unofficial league podcasts post a meme about the bad boys of Kansas City and and all the fouls and, and blue cars that they get. So it's very easy to to if you're trying to defend the Comets, well, hey, everybody picks on us, whether it's other teams, whether it's the league, et cetera. Everybody wants to blame the referees for everybody, it seems. But Kansas City does play a physical style of soccer. And I think if you're being fairly objective, they have earned a reputation as a physical team. And uh, more so on the road. I think they play a little bit more physically on the road than they do at home at home. They had a great crowd. They had a record crowd on on Sunday, and they used that energy to play a um, a more up tempo game. Which uh, I was going to bring up the crowd also the uh, five thousand and something, which was the largest crowd, five thousand eight hundred and twenty one. Yeah, which is just a few more than the previous record. That is correct. Like like eight ten something like that more than the previous record. The uh, which was back in 2014, I think. Yeah, it was a long time ago. Uh, and again, the record at Cable Dom Arena, they've actually had more when they played at the Sprint Center a decade ago, whatever it was. Against Wichita. Yep. Yeah. Yep, over 9,000. Yeah, but it's just a it's a good sign that, uh, you know, I know that they will sell more for certain games to try to, you know, build that crowd up. But it's just a good sign to see the the place packed after the pandemic and all the issues with you know people not wanting to go because of the 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 pandemic and it's just it was good to see a very full crowd 
lots of kids, lots of adults. Uh, it was really loud. It was really loud. So I normally get there about two hours before game time. And and we typically will record our pregame and halftime interviews 90 minutes out. It was loud 90 minutes out. I could barely hear myself when I was inter- interviewing Neto. And then throughout the game, consistently loud. And and I think that that energy made some difference in overtime because Kansas City looked like they were comfortable up three to one. And then ultimately, claw, uh, clawback goal. And then you knew IB26 was going to score at some point. It was yeah. inevitable. And, and what was a, it looked like a fairly comfortable 3-1 lead became a 3-3 tie. And you throw it into overtime and anything goes. Yeah. I, t- I mentioned I spoke to Chase Bromstead this morning. He was uh, – I asked him about it getting his first blue card. And he was very apologetic and a little sheepish about it because he goes, it led to a goal and – I need to do better and, you know, all the right things. He said all the right things. and But, uh, I mean, he did have a, a really good performance for those first two games because it is a, such a big difference between outdoor and indoor at times. Uh, I do expect to see a lot more out of him. Uh, another young guy that got a chance this last weekend was Steven Tekeski. As we had mentioned, Neto was suspended for the game in Mesquite. Tekeski played. I thought he did pretty well. Not, not going to take Neto's starting job any time in the next week or two. Uh, I don't think the comments played as well for him as they could have at times, but not too bad of a first game. Would it, I mean, you you got the goalkeeper perspective. Oh, I always have the goalkeeper perspective that I thought what was interesting, if you draw a parallel between how he plays and Neto, neither of them are afraid to go outside their box. He reads the game really well. I talked to uh, Kenny Mayer Sunday, uh, just sharing notes, and, and Kenny agreed. He thought that, that Stephen read the game really well on Saturday. Some unfortunate goals, uh, but that happens in the indoor game. You're going to get countered, and uh, the ball's going to bounce one way or the other, and it, and that's the way it is. But I think he held himself up well. I think he showed that he can play in this league, and I think that we saw that with Mark Baker coming in for Paulo with St. Louis. Teams less reticent to throw a rookie goalkeeper out there and see what they can do. And we'll see. We'll see. I think that that there's an old adage about competition being good, competition and practice being good, because it it raises the expectations, it raises performance. And I think that having Tekeski there will make Neto a better goalkeeper. And I thought Neto was terrific. Yes, that first goal, he would want back. When when you get scored on five-hole, nobody likes that. But save after save after save, uh, the goalkeeping was was terrific. And if we were doing a wave podcast, I'm sure we would be saying that were it not for Neto, Milwaukee would have had way more than three goals. Yeah. And as we already mentioned, it was the defense and the goalkeepers in this last match were stellar on both ends. The um and each one of them would have been would like to have at least one of those goals back. You know, they were that maybe they could have stopped, but a stellar performance from both of those guys. Uh, I think next we just got to talk about this weekend a little bit more. What do you, uh, two games back to back, uh, Milwaukee in Milwaukee, St. Louis here in Kansas City. St. Louis does not play the night before, if I saw that correctly. So they're going to be a little more rested. They'll be missing one of their their key guys, as you mentioned earlier, due to suspension. 
how do you think uh think Leo manages it like he did last time? Maybe different doesn't play as many guys on one night versus the other. And do you focus on the game at home more than the game on the road? I think based on having had Milwaukee take them into overtime and and so let's just take a, a deeper look at that that not only did the comets drop a point they could have should have would have had three points now they have two but Milwaukee should have been at zero points and Milwaukee got one so it's sort of a net loss at two points for for Kansas City I think that changes the tactics going in you have to come back from Milwaukee with something now. And so I think he has to play Friday night. Like we need to bring points back regardless to Kansas city. And so that may change some of the lines that he, he does. I think the other thing is St. Louis. Yes, they'll be rested, but Kansas City believes they can beat the ambush every time in in Cable Dom Arena until St. Louis can prove otherwise. And so I would expect maybe Leo to be a little less cautious than he normally is in a situation like this and 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 compete in a way like they have to in Milwaukee on Friday night. The other thing, I, I heard that Kevin Ellis got banged up against Milwaukee don't know what his status is. And and we saw when when St. Louis played here a few weeks ago, it was the Kevin Ellis show. So yeah. we don't know yet who's going to be healthy, who's going to be there. And so it's, it's sort of hard to project what to expect Saturday night. I would expect Friday is going to be a, a continuation of what we saw on Sunday, a tight game, a tight-ish game, I would say. Uh, but it could be a physical game as well. And um, we'll see how that spills over into Saturday. Yeah. And uh, well, I, I can't say I would mind if Kevin didn't play in the game against Kansas city this weekend, I don't wish him any ill will. I hope he's, he's okay. Uh, someday we'll have to do just a pod on probably the best villains in uh, the uh, league at the moment, since he, he seemed to like want to relish that role last time. Well, I, I talked to Neto about this. I had to ask him about the Neto rule that everybody's calling this. I've definitely heard this from Wave fans that the the new goalkeeper rule, and uh, he kind of got a chuckle out of it. Answered that answered that really well, and uh, I think that it. I, I know a decent number of Milwaukee fans, and uh, they're they're trying to figure out whether John Sosa, Nicolau Neto, in some cases Leo, is the villain for for the comments when they play up there. And, and what I found interesting on Sunday is typically comments fans try to uh, share their thoughts and feelings and love to Derek Huffman. I didn't hear so much of that before the game. I know it happened uh, during the game, maybe a little bit afterwards, but Huffman was a voice of reason on the field after the game. And uh, I, I totally respect that. Uh, I, I agree. I didn't really see that, and, but I'm not doubting what you said. He actually did seem much more, much less a villain in this last game uh, from what I've seen him play before. So I don't know if that's maturity, just the way the game went. Got a lucky day. I don't know. But again, I know some like having a lot of villains in the league. I probably am on the side of having lesser villains, but I understand why people like it because it's stories, it's interest. I'm just more focused on good play. Well, and, and I'll say this about Derek Huffman, and we talked about him on air 
he's an interesting player that he can play up front. He can play on the back line. He definitely can play on, on uh, power play situations. And if you're a coach, you want to have options. Leo Gibson has some options in terms of players that you can plug and play in, in a couple different places. Typically it's between defense and midfield, but, but Huffman gives you that other opportunity as a scoring threat too. And I, I was impressed with, with Milwaukee. They have some young guys that have serious motors, but need a little time to adapt to the indoor game. But I think that, that uh, coach Oliveira made some necessary roster moves to get that team younger. And I think you saw the difference this past weekend. And I think we'll see that again here on uh, Friday night. I think they're very much paralleling what the Comets have done over the last couple of years too. There was a, a lot of senior players that were still good, but were not going to get better and just have moved to some younger players who still have upside and will continue to grow and may not, you know, not at their peak even yet. So well, so it's a con see... it's a contrast that because I would love to say it's a, a young player's game these this day and that that holds true for outdoor as well as indoor having legs having stamina allows you to do a lot of things. That being noted, the most dangerous person in this league, in my opinion, is 39 years old. He's the reigning MVP. Is Ian Bennett? He doesn't have to do the work that right. some of these younger guys do. That being said. You see him on the penalty kill. You see him on the power play. You see him playing two ways. You see him finding space. He's just a smart player who knows to be in the right position. And uh, my only surprise, my surprise wasn't that he scored on Sunday because I expected him to score. My surprise was it took him so long into the fourth quarter to get that goal that uh, it's pretty typical to see him rack up three or four goals at Cable Dahmer Arena. Oh, no doubt. He's, he always seems to have it in for the comments no matter what. Uh, he's, you're talking about how, you know, some might or see it as a young man's game. But, I mean, I think guys like Leo and Sosa would have words to say with you also on that, considering how well they still play. Yeah, uh, I yeah. um I agree with that. And, and um, uh, although I would say that I think that so far Sosa's had a better showing than Leo has, but Leo wasn't planning to play and now he is. Sosa, for me, is one of the most dangerous tactical threats in the league. And I, I think he's trying to adjust, too, so he's not having to run two ways. You see him now holding back when he has to, but on set pieces, he's deadly. On power plays, he's deadly. And you give him the ball right outside the yellow line or inside the yellow line, he's not afraid to shoot. And he's definitely shown that he can score from distance. And if you're going to run by him on a breakaway, he's not afraid to take you down. Well, again, he doesn't have the speed of a 22-year-old to to run like that. So he has to use his brain a little bit more creatively. Oh, yeah. Not not arguing with that. I mean, just yep. it's a full respect comment yep. there. But might also be why he's on the villain list for some other teams. Could be. All right. Uh, we just got a couple more minutes left before we need to take off and do something else. What's your uh, any predictions for this weekend? A lot of blue cards. There's my there's my prediction. I think that that's the easiest prediction that I can make is you have two rivalry games, one back to back. Uh, there will be some hard feelings carrying over from this Sunday. So I would expect that to bleed over into Friday night's game in Milwaukee. Hopefully not literally. Not literally bleeding. We saw blood on on Sunday, right? Yeah. But uh 
The best result would obviously be six points. I think that four points would be a respectable, yes, would be a respectable weekend. And so Kansas City, they, they absolutely have to take this one day at a time and not look past Milwaukee to St. Louis coming back with at least one point on Friday night would be job well done. Any more Ted Lasso uh, sightings you think? Haven't seen him lately, uh, but you never know who's going to show up. We didn't expect Kim Runtbet to, to show up in the booth and then put on a headset and then start announcing the game on uh, Saturday on Sunday. So I guess we'll see who shows up this Saturday. Yeah. I wish I would have seen him. I totally missed him on that one. Oh, he was, he was taking my job. He was providing his, let's just call it his brand of color. He was providing his brand of color to the broadcast. So uh, it, it was a good time. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. I always love talking to Kim. All right. Uh, yeah. I, I think like you said, the four points would be a very respectable. And I think that's probably what's going to happen. It's going to be either, it's either going to be a win and maybe a, a overtime loss or, I could even see a win and a loss in this game in these two matches, just be of being back to back and hard to predict which way that'll go. It could do, it could honestly go either way, but they need to keep pace. They need to at least get three, four points to keep pace. Uh, I'd say set the pace because they're going to have more games than anybody else at that point. So they'll have some time to rest after that, hopefully. Yeah. And I think on the broader scale and I, I have been tracking online, actually commenting online on some frustrations being, offered by Comets fans you know the end is near what's happening to us are we going to win are we going to score etc cetera, etc cetera. I mean, ultimately what this comes down to is when it comes playoff time which team is prepared to do what it has to do to win in a home and home plus potential uh extra time I was going to say mini game but we got rid of the word mini game uh series and I'm convinced the Comets are going to be there. I think what the Comets have to prove is that they can consistently win on the road. We haven't seen that that yet this season. They have an opportunity on Friday to show they can go into somebody else's house, the house of their biggest rival, and and win because it's going to take that to bring the Ron Newman Cup back to Kansas City. All right. Uh, I totally agree. I don't know if that makes for good potting where I'm supposed to argue with you more, but, you know. It is. It is what it is, right? Exactly. All right. Uh, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I know you got a lot to do and probably want to go watch a uh, outdoor match that's on TV right now. So I appreciate the time with you, Eric, and we will. I will see you this weekend. You shall. Thanks, everybody, for listening. <laughs>